co-host, Kenneth Shepard. How you doing today, Ken? Uh, I was going to come up with a witty response to this, but I didn't come up with one in time. Oh, come on. You got to come into this. You know what day it is. It's your favorite day, Ken. The day that we are recording this. Not the day this recording is going out, but the day we are recording this is actually Kenneth Shepard's favorite day. Everyone should remember it as his favorite day. It is May 4th. As in, may the 4th be with you, Ken. It took you and it took me like hearing you say May 4th to remember what you were talking about. To yeah, like give but... you it like to, to tell you how little I am phased by this. <laughs> uh, Ken, I've got an honest question to start off this this here podcast that we have here on uh, Normandy FM. Uh, by not talking about Dragon Age, I actually want to mention uh, something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, N7 Day. So, mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about this today, because uh, the day that we are recording this is May 4th, which has been kind of co-opted to be Star Wars Day, because haha, mm-hmm. may the 4th be with you. Um, and I was actually ranting about this in another Slack, where I was like, it's so dumb, it's just, it's a star wars marketing day they just picked out you know it happens all the time now where it seems like some company somewhere either picks out a day and makes it happen or they just force it to happen by spamming a hashtag and stuff like that Mm. and it becomes an actual holiday or whatever uh i feel like holiday inundation like day inundation Mm. making every day feel like its own special day meant like centered around something has, has been a real thing uh as of the last i'd say even decade at this point uh how do you feel about n7 day in particular because i've always had kind of mixed emotions on the fact and i know that we are this is ostensibly a bioware podcast that was started on recapping mass effect and and talking about mass effect all the time so we do have like a little bit of bias in that sense that we obviously enjoy bioware things and mass effect things but how do you feel about n7 day in general um, if I'm not mistaken, I don't believe that November 7th and 7 Day was sort of a thing that Bioware started. I, if I recall correctly, it just kind of happened within the fandom, and then Bioware kind of was like, okay, then we'll, if like, if, if our fans are going to be celebrating this anyway, we might as well kind of jump on it, and my, I don't mind that, I guess, like, it's, like, I mean, even as a person that quote-unquote celebrates in 7 Day, which mainly just means, like, being like, I like Mass Effect, and you hear that every day, but this day is special because it is, there's a hashtag for it, but I don't know, like, it's, it's fine, I guess, like, I, my bigger issue with it comes with people's expectations of Bioware to, like, mm. have it be this huge fucking thing, because I don't think it ever has been, like, people are like, oh, maybe on an, on an seven day we'll hear about Mass Effect, the next Mass Effect game, and it's like, that has never happened, like, Bioware has never held off on its, like, important announcements until November 7th, because, yes, they will join in on the hashtag, they will post, like, you know, a video of, like, the team talking about, like, oh, this is what Mass Effect means to me after all this time. I don't know, it's it's fine. Yeah, that was kind of how I felt about it, too, was, and that's what, kind of why I brought it up in the first place. It wasn't just to throw a, a curveball at you at the start of the podcast, Ken. It was more that I was thinking about the difference between N7 Day and and May the 4th... God, I hate that I just said it that way, too. Uh, it's... Uh, 
it's that the Star Wars marketing machine has kind of embraced May 4th in a way that has turned it into this day of, oh, there's going to be all this news. And we're going to talk about, like, today they announced that there's this new Star Wars film coming from from Taika, and he's directing it. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, here's an interview about the next Lego Star Wars game and all that. Mm -hmm. And, And overall, that's you know it's fine you know companies need to do their marketing that is part of the cycle right like ostensibly these are consumer products and those always have a marketing cycle that accompanies them but mass effect and and dragon age and all of bioware stuff has traditionally existed on the game's marketing cycle not necessarily on Mm -hmm. this this marketing cycle that star wars can do where it kind of defines its own you know it's it's large enough that they can just establish that day and it is their day and nobody else is going to announce stuff on that day because why would you do that it's may 4th and i do actually like that n7 as you mentioned has that community roots and and has a little bit more it doesn't feel like it's been turned into a marketing thing just yet it's definitely still a feel-good campaign it's definitely still let's talk about how great mass effect is like Mm. nobody's gonna hop on and be like well it's n7 days so time to talk shit about mass i mean some people (laughs) are but um it's it's more like it's a day that I can hop on and I'll see, I remember this last year I saw some stories that were just going around of people talking about the development of mass effect or, you know, the things that they did to put those games together and stuff like that. And that's, that's always more appealing to me. And then obviously like this last year, I, I think I published on N seven day that, that piece I wrote about why Garrus um, Mm. is, is so (laughs) important. And also why he didn't like become the character that he is until mass effect two. And, how he kind of sucks in mass effect one because <laughs> mm. he he does he kind of sucks in mass effect one he's not he's not cool until mass effect two i think we can all agree on that yeah. um or mass effect three depending on how you feel about him oh he's great in mass effect two he's so there hold with on. the sniper rifle <laughs> Yo, okay. he's like oh it took you a long time shepherd i clipped you a little bit on the way in you know had to make it look real and i'm like oh garris <laughs> so i gotta oh. say like that that whole like what's your most controversial video game opinion thing that's going uh-huh. around on Twitter right now. I quote cheated it at first and was like, y'all aren't ready for my Garrus Vicarian takes. Then I deleted it because I was like, I don't need that in my life right now. <laughs> I've, I've talked about these things on Norm DF and we're good. It's fine. Jim, you are a lifelong holder of controversial gaming takes. Your, yours is already above <laughs> the fold. Like, Because everyone else was like, I actually think that games can tell good stories. That's my controversial one. And I'm like, that's not a... Nobody is arguing mm. against that. Nobody's arguing for that. No one cares about that. Like, that's what half of the ones I saw were. <laughs> it's just the most lukewarm stuff where they're just like, I'm going to say something that sounds controversial, but everyone will agree with me anyway. And I'm like, ugh. Mm. <laughs> it, yeah. uh, um, no, it's we're, we're a podcast about hot takes, and that's why we're talking about the best dragon age dragon age 2 uh, oof right <laughs> and hot it's, it's honestly this these days depending on who you talk to that's not that hot of a take but it's not. We, we've had folks on this this program who attest to all of them any of them being uh the best one i mean uh caitlin was on here saying dragon age origins is the best uh we've got some folks coming on who i imagine would argue for inquisition and we're going to have plenty of folks this season uh, talking about Dragon Age 2 as well. Uh, if you've been missing those guest episodes, don't worry. Uh, now that we're through the first act, the way we kind of structured this season was that 
we wanted to get through kind of the introductions of all the different companion characters and stuff like that before we started introducing guests because the way that companions kind of trickle out in this season means that we kind of have to do sporadic or like episodic updates on their stories not necessarily one contained episode uh which is another reason why i like dragon age 2 but <laughs> um it does mean that we have more opportunities to talk about characters and and really go in depth on them and talk to people who know and love these characters very much so there are characters this season that we will have multiple guests on to talk about at various points uh these different characters so if you are uh spoiler prone to that uh we will kind of drop a little warning before we get into like overall character talk when we do that this act but we will have some guests on to talk about characters but today though we're, we're wrapping up act one of dragon age 2 we are diving into the deep roads we've got our cash we've bought in uh bartrand's you know grumbling accepts us uh but before we go ken we got to make a uh, pretty big choice here uh the first of several big choices that will happen and for you and for me uh these these choices can vary greatly depending on what the outcome is and how that affects uh our sibling specifically Mm -hmm. so this is i think one of the larger things that the game maybe it does broadcast that it is a large choice that you are making but um i even then i think you don't understand the gravity until you are actually in the moment like this the thing i love about the deep roads expedition in particular is that it feels almost like a suicide run that happens at the beginning of the game Mm. uh because once you're kind of in there and i mean they've up to this point i feel like the deep roads have always kind of been like oh they're just that hole in the ground over there because in dragon age origins you never really got a sense of how much traveling was going on from from moment to moment like there were times when characters would be like oh yeah we've you know it took us you know two days to get here or whatever but you never really got a sense for how much scale there was there mm-hmm. but with the deep roads expedition and the fact that I, i'm trying to remember exactly how much time it takes for them to actually get to uh the point where we start playing in the deep roads but i, I want to say, say a week like yeah a week yeah. sounds right uh because they mention it again uh at the end as well but you think about that you know we have a map from anders that has entrances to the deep roads but to get to the point that we're getting to in these caverns that is you know a locked away place that supposedly has treasure that is now vacated by darkspawn because of the the blight that's been going on in ferelden uh we have to travel a full-on week to get there and that's a week of just you know walking every day <laughs> like mm. i that was that was the part where i was like oh right this is a significant undertaking that that's about to happen so as we're about to set out on our quest as it were uh we have to make some choices about who you bring with us uh and and this party will be locked in for the duration of this mission and the only the only character that is forcibly locked in is Varric. Varric has to go with us for story reasons obviously and also because like you know it makes sense that you know this he's he's got to come with because it's his and bartrand's expedition <laughs> and all that um we can choose to take anyone else for our other two slots but the big choice that we make here is whether or not we take our sibling 
And as we're about to leave for the expedition, Leon, uh, Leandra? God, I Leandra. always get her. Leandra. I always Dude. want to call her Liana for some reason. Leandra, our mother, uh, comes to tell us, hey, please don't take your sibling. You know, we've already lost one Hawk sibling getting here to Kirkwall. We've been here a year. Things have been terrible. I can't stand losing both of you in one fell swoop. I don't, you know, you seem set on on traveling here on on going so please just don't take your your sibling as well um and this carries connotations for what will happen with the sibling at the end of this so ken i'm just gonna upfront say that i did not take bethany with me i did um, not take carver either so oh well good we don't have to worry too much about what happens then <laughs> um we'll probably talk about it but we don't need to so worry actively about things that might happen later let's let's talk right now no, no, no we we don't need to well i mean we're not gonna encounter the moment that would happen otherwise so should we talk real quick about what happens if we do take the sibling with i guess us? so yeah i mean this is like a good point to just like wrap all that up until we you know get back yeah, yeah. so late let's say later on in this mission there is a part where we would be fighting uh fighting some some real evil stuff and should we have the sibling in our party they will get attacked and basically get infected by the blight um they will have the the dark spawn taint in them as it were uh regardless of what happens so if we have the sibling in our party and anders is not in our party the sibling dies just straight up and I've, I will say right now, I've never played this game and had that happen. Mm. Um, in fact, I believe both times I played through this um, this mission, including this one as well. Uh, so I guess three times total. I always left the sibling at home because mm. that just seemed like the right thing to do. Right. If we, if you happen to have Anders in the party, uh, he will suggest that you could let the sibling join the gray wardens go through the joining and he likes it's like he like senses that another gray warden is nearby and mm. you go find them to to initiate the joining which always yeah. seemed kind of strange to me because like anders you're gray warden too you know you can do this do they do they give a reasoning for why he can't do the joining or i don't think so oh okay mm, but well, it also has been like several like almost a decade since i've seen this particular like variation of how That's this all right. goes so it's the the thing that happens is you then fight through a bunch more dark spawn and then you find stroud who is both a character in dragon age 2 as well as a character in dragon age inquisition um but stroud essentially is there to um to to be the dude that joins your sibling for at least for right now they make an appearance later but um in that case your sibling goes off and becomes a gray warden and i don't actually know you know i've never seen what the conclusion of this game looks like if your sibling is a gray warden i don't know what happens they, um, with them they'll or, show or up. if they're dead actually come to think of it well if they're dead i mean they're just not they're just in dead the places they would be yeah but like if they do end up gray warden, they will appear i think like once per act after that like hmm. there will be a point where the gray wardens are passing through Kirkwall, and they will be there, and then 
at the very, very, very end of the game, when shit's going down, they're gonna, they make, like, an appearance, like, a solo appearance, like, I heard things were going bad, and I am here to help you, regardless of which side you chose, but... Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, I feel like story-wise, the best option is to leave the sibling behind, mm-hmm. because it ends up leading to situations that puts the sibling in a place that feels very thematically appropriate. Right, right, um, exactly, yeah. And feels, it feels like it ties into the story better. Mm-hmm. obviously them dying just kind of goes like oh well womp womp right. like, you should listen to us but uh yeah. so i think my my opinion on the way like regardless of where they end up i feel like the fate of the other sibling kind of sucks regardless and i think it really this game is all oh it's, it's the same i mean it's they're basically done dirty in the same way the other sibling was but it's like more you know played out through one act because mm-hmm. like it's gonna be a recurring thing where like Dragon Age Two is supposed to be out this this family's ascent to the place they end up at the end of this game. It's really about Hawk, like main right. character Hawk. You know, it's, and, it's very you know, centered on Hawk's life. Right, and for there better was a, and worse. Yeah, there was um. Oh, let me make sure I found it. So there was this uh comic that I, that uh friend of the show Chase Carter sent me, and it was uh this it was two panels and it, one of them was Hawk and it says. I came here to protect my family and kick ass, and I'm all out of family. <laughs> and that's sort of, like, you know, I just think it kind of sucks, because, like, this is two games now where, like, this this Mass Effect Andromeda, where the game's, like, this family dynamic really matters to the main character of this game, but then it just kind of doesn't, like, they, like, Andromeda may have, like, set up things for, like, a hypothetical second game, but it just feels like Dragon Age 2 just really undermines that particular thematic pole that it's, all, it's supposed to be holding this all up together. And, I don't know, it just sucks. Like, I, I, I... For the relationship my Hawk and Carver have, I like where he ends up if you do leave him back at Kirkwall. And I think that that leads to some interesting sort of tension there. But it's not really followed up upon throughout the game. It's like there are very specific points where it comes up again. Like, yeah, I can't even go visit him later i can't even like like granted legacy does do some stuff that like kind of circumvents issues that this game has in this particular thing but it just feels like a really weird missed opportunity to just like have a story really be about family in the way that it kind of positions itself as i think it's difficult when at the end of the day this does have to be a heroic story um and you think about like what a, a traditional heroic story looks like i i think of stories like the odyssey or or like the labors of of hercules or heracles however you prefer to pronounce it but um it's the, the hero always has to endure hardship right like you never have the hero just easily trounce over things the hero has to hurt has to mend but can never break like uh it's this is a story at the end of the day that is centered on hawk um and and part of me does wonder if it was very intentional the idea that we don't see what's going on with their sibling because it's the idea that varick is telling this story to cassandra uh and so we are hearing varick's version of events and Mm. we're being told what happens and, and that comes into play here as well um you know this is 
one of the few missions where we do have a cutaway to Varric and Cassandra to remind us of the fact right. that the story is being told. Uh, and I, I've tried to keep that framing in mind because there's there's a lot of stuff that happens in this game that's it's kind of like Persona Five, where the protagonist is telling mm-hmm. the story to Sai, and um, y- there are points where you're like, "Oh, how would the protagonist have known this?" or "How would they?" Have... Uh, one of the parts I always think of is um, whenever there's a situation where characters are talking and the protagonist is not present, mm-hmm. or like at least has not walked into the scene yet, but you can still see the dialogue that is being told and stuff. And mm-hmm. so there are parts where. I think it ultimately has to serve that framing of the story first and foremost, and then start to address things like, you know, overall themes and all that. So I would say the family is maybe a theme here, but not like the core framing of the story, but also the theme that it's trying to get across with the family, I think is that Hawk's family kind of falls apart around them and they're kind of forced to be the one thing that is, Mm keeping constant and you know not to sound cheesy but it's like oh you know you're really forming your own family in kirkwall Mm, because you don't have anyone before you get to kirkwall and then you have all these little rascals that (laughs) grow up around you and all that but i I, I do get a piece of that and i think that's maybe why a certain thing that happens near the end of the game feels all the more like what the fuck is happening (laughs) like why (laughs) like um because it feels like a betrayal and you know i'm not i'm not saying that that's a good or bad thing i'm just kind of coming at it in in a sense of it's it's becoming clear the more i play this game that this is hawk's game this is not the hawk family's game this is mm. hawk's game um and and for better or worse i mean the other thing that i i don't know how much we've talked about it yet but this kind of stands out from bioware games in that this is maybe the most written a character has been in a Bioware game that we've talked about yet, like pre-written for us. Because Shepard can have a backstory, but you can alter that backstory should you choose. You know, you can have different ways that Shepard got into the military, and obviously you can change the gender of Hawk just like you can change the gender of Shepard, but uh, Shepard doesn't come in with preordained family unit, and Shepard doesn't come in with preordained... Uh, this is where you grew up and this is where your family mm. came up and it's like there's so much that is pre-written about Hawk right. and is established about Hawk from the get-go that mm. it kind of we are playing a role-playing character but it's more like we're playing Hawk we're not playing a character who takes on the pseudonym of Shepard or a role-playing character like in Dragon Age Origins where we become the Great Warden we are playing a pretty preset character in this game compared to other bioware games so um i would almost compare it more to kotor in that way um from what i, I know the, of kotor i think the closest comparison is probably andromeda i think i think yeah both in terms of like i, th- I think Ryder and hawk i mean you know there there's some variation depending on like where what kind of dialogue you tend to lean towards but i think that in terms of kind of pre-setting a character and like letting you play around in a very specific framework. I think Andromeda and Dragon Age 2 are very similar. And, I, you know, and you know that comes up in a lot of ways. Like, there is that sense of family as well. Like, they both have that very specific backstory of, like, what happened to their family, how they got here, and, the like, you know, the ramifications of their journey towards that family unit. Mm-hmm. 
it's it's interesting and i think that plays even more in this episode because we get to dive into this family dynamic but not necessarily just between hawk and the hawk family but between bartrand and varick which is kind of a new dynamic because i think this is probably the first place where varick starts to feel like a real character and not necessarily like a storytelling device Mm. um you know there are characters in plays and things like that who are kind of the um the audience like shepherd in a way you know they bring you through the play and they they kind of lead you from scene to scene and all that kind of stuff they'll address the audience at certain points and Varric kind of feels like that for a lot of this but here and again later in act two when we do Varric's uh side mission we get to really see Varric as a character uh and to be honest i don't even remember that happening much in inquisition like it's surprising the more i thought because I, I was thinking about this the other day i was like oh right Varric was a companion in inquisition and i used him like he was there but i surprisingly don't remember him that well right. from inquisition whereas like he's a pretty key character yeah. in in both dragon ages but he feels like much more of a character in two right it's a weird thing because like i mean Varric is, like, a party staple in both of those games for me, and, like, I do adore that character, but he does feel largely like he's done with his arc by the time you get to him in Inquisition. Not that there's, Mm -hmm. like, not stuff that goes on that, like, he, you know, has to reckon with throughout the game, but, like, I feel like his role is more like he was in the wrong place at the the right time and ended up kind of swept up in all of this. From what I remember, and granted, it's been probably about six years mm-hmm. since I played Inquisition. Um, but I remember Varric's thing kind of being like, hey, I'm the character that tells you why Dragon Age 2 is important to the things that are going on right now. Right. <laughs> um, here's why Kirkwall is important. Uh, whereas, it, I feel like that happened in other games, but other bioware games you know specifically like mass effect 3 a lot of the carryover members there were mass effect 1 characters um granted some of them had followed you throughout the series but some of them were specifically like hey these characters from mass effect 1 that you know and love are back in the fold um and i was thinking about this again the other day but like mass effect 2 characters did not really get to make that jump did they um (laughs) it's interesting that way but inquisition like varic is that one holdover that they decide is like very important so that's kind of bioware i think saying to us at least if nothing else varic as a character is very important to what's happening in dragon age and whether regardless of whether that means he's a fan favorite or he's just you know a character that should be important carries importance uh i don't know but let's let's stop shooting the shit and let's get into the deep roads uh (laughs) We also get to meet up with uh, two wonderful characters we have not seen in a while, man. Bodan and Sandal are here. Oh, man. I was really happy to see these two. Yeah. Uh, so, if, if it felt like too long, and I was like getting ready to head out on the expedition and all that, and I looked over, I was like, wait, those two look familiar. I was like, yeah. it's Bodan and Sandal. And I'm going to call him Bodan. I know it's Bodan, I know, but I like I mean, using my, my southern inflection to say Bodan. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. Bodan listening to his bone haver. <laughs> um, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's it's. I, I like having them back, and this might sound a little bit weird, but these two also get like room to breathe in Dragon Age Two that I feel like they didn't get as much in yep. Origins either. Uh, I... The fact that they not to like 
spoiler things that are going to happen later in the episode though we kind of assume that whoever's coming in this episode has played the full mission already but the way that they kind of become recurring characters after this yeah. point is just really nice and really well done in a way that yeah. i i appreciate it was uh, i mean this isn't it's kind of skipping to inquisition but i was surprised they didn't show up again like i'm I, like i thought they were gonna be a constant like in a series that lacked constants i thought that was they were gonna be one of them but I, yeah so not not to say not to say you're lying but yeah no they okay sandal does show up again in, in inquisition but he's only mentioned okay god that's weird because i could have sworn i remembered sandal being in inquisition but now that i suddenly think about it i'm like oh right right yeah he just gets mentioned by like dagna and, and mm. that's about it which yeah dagna comes back everyone remembers dagna that choice that we made in origins that mm. might have been a little bit more uh <laughs> long-reaching than i think even the makers of dragon age would have expected mm. um which you know shout outs to that about time dagna got her due um we uh, we head down in the deep roads we go on an expedition we are here to kind of be the muscle for uh for bartrand and varric as as they journey into the deep roads and uh so uh, i guess we should talk real quick about what parties we did bring mm. so i brought uh to the best of my recollection i can't remember for a hundred percent certain but i'm pretty sure i brought anders and aveline okay. that i brought because i know i brought uh, I know I brought Anders. Yeah. Um, who who was the other person you brought? Fenris. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah. So I had I mean, like one of each. Yeah. yeah, standard team composition. You bring a tank. You bring a, a healer. Uh, you're already an offensive mage. I I just had two rogues, which I was kind of annoyed about, but you know mm. it is what it is. Didn't really have too much trouble with it either way. Um, I yeah. we haven't really talked much about combat at this point. Um, I think by this point in the story, I already had a lot of the abilities I still have now because I'm at i'm at a point right now where i feel like i've got mm. most of my kit figured out and i'm just kind yeah. of leveling up the abilities i like because i mean like at this point we can finally get like specializations and really start to make the like the, the combat style that we do kind of our own because i've finally like specced into to fourth mage so i'm big on like crowd control and mm-hmm. throwing everybody around and that's fun and and i'm i'm actually surprisingly playing a more stealthy assassin than i used to you know i was kind of always the i like to be the frontline assassin that dodges hits and you know i'm almost like a frontline fighter like very much in that duelist specialization but uh this game i decided to really go heavy into the assassin and the shadow and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. i'm finding that to be pretty fun uh it feels pretty good to like start a fight out and like go for the heaviest guy and just jump on them mark of death and just start slashing them like crazy and it's it's very like high risk high reward but it it feels really good in a way that i mean i i think i mentioned this when we were playing awakening but awakening does that thing where it unlocks that extra tree of of skills for for every class and and a lot of them ended up carrying over in some way to dragon age 2 there were a lot of abilities there that are dragon age 2 abilities like the one where you kind of poof and then like slash everybody in the back and then land somewhere and that sort of stuff with rogue is like what i associate with it and what i associate dragon age 2 with so it's it's mm-hmm. it's nice to finally start getting into those and really start playing around with that stuff yeah um 
as we as we finally get into the deep roads uh we run into a blockage and so we have to kind of stop and assess what's going on and as we do that uh bodan comes over and tells us that sandal has gone missing so we decide to kill two birds with one stone well assumingly i'm, I'm assuming you did not tell bodan no because that's oh, just a not. dick move that yeah okay you mean yeah, because then you're like, yeah, I am going to go look for a way out, but I'm not going to find your son in the process. <laughs> Screw you. Um, but once we've decided to, uh, you know, kind of kill two birds with, with one stone and, and find Sandal as well as find a way around the blockage, uh, we kind of go through just a lot of dark spawn fighting, which mm. this starts to feel like a Dragon Age Origins mission pretty mm-hmm. quick. Um, for all the good and bad that that entails, you know, part of this was definitely nostalgic i feel i probably felt the same way when i played it the first time through was oh man this is this is dragon age origins this is mm. fighting in the deep roads against dark spawn and pretty soon like three fights in, i was like this is dragon age origins mm. um it's there's not a lot that's happening here that's really too interesting because you really are just kind of fighting through yep. encounter after encounter there is one part that so did you do the thing where you run off to the side path to to get the treasure when you turn back around a boss spider spawns no thank god okay so uh it's it's in this area that you go into and there's kind of this large pit and the large pit does not spawn any enemies in it but there's kind of a side path off of it that has a chest Uh, i think it's like a silverite deposit or something Mm. if you go over there and obviously i get that silverite deposit because that's that's critical we haven't talked about crafting that much i haven't done much of it i don't haven't touched it uh, I'm probably going to start doing some of that stuff soon just because I'm at the point where I want some poisons and things like that mm. uh, just to kind of keep playing into my roguey ways. So once we get into that, maybe like next episode, I can talk a bit about it. But um, where I'm at in the the story in my current playthrough, which is I want to say I'm only about like two or three critical missions ahead of us at this point. Mm. So I need to I need to get back on playing. But uh I haven't touched that much yet, but I still try to be very certain that I'm like picking up all the resources as I find them. But you turn back around, and this gigantic spider—I mean, this this thing is freaking massive, dude! Mm. Like it is, it is big and it is ugly. Like like picture the normal spiders. You know how they're about mm-hmm. like half the size of hawk, give or take. Mm-hmm. You know height wise. This one is maybe, let's say, conservatively four times larger than that. Mm. It is, it like fills up the pit. It's like the size of a dragon. It is messed up <laughs> and it's just this big ass spider. And it scared the shit out of me the first time. Because <laughs> I was playing it in the middle of the night. I did not expect that to happen. And then this thing drops down and it's, it's like big and it's got those big ass spider legs and that bulby ass and all that it's like oh it's it was the worst i was like i was playing it i was like i now understand why people like need those no spider mods Mm. like please i never want to deal with this again make it like a giant i don't know make it a giant dark spawn make it a giant ugly dark spawn i don't care just don't make it a spider um as we progress further and further we eventually come upon uh, an ogre that is frozen in ice and uh soon after that we just find countless darkspawn bodies strewn about the battlefield and standing in the middle of them uh bloodied but unbowed is sandal uh yeah 
and we get to ask him what happened here, and you know what he says? Not enchantment. What? No, right, that's, he says that in the other game, is when you walk into that room and you're like, what happened here? He's like, enchantment. Mm-hmm. Um, no, here he like actually says things. He's like, I think they go boom or something like that. And mm. That's that's when you... Well, that was for me the part where I was like, okay, you know, like they're, they're doing the reference back to that really good scene from Dragon Age Origins where Sandals murders a bunch of Darkspawn. <laughs> but... Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know that's all well and good that actually plays into a thing later on where sandal ends up giving you the the rune that he used to kill all the dark spawn which is which is neat too um i enjoyed that but uh sandal you know you don't gotta worry about him he's good he's he's doing all right they still haven't explained what the hell he is no and they never really do um maybe maybe we'll find out in dragon age 4 you know maybe the secret to dragon age is that the oldest god is sandal uh, <laughs> sandal is above all you know forget the the fell wolf or or i almost said maleficent <laughs> um or or, or or all the other old gods <laughs> um you know don't worry about them i i suddenly can't remember uh flemeth's old god name all of a sudden no. the one that all the, the elves um what was it Mythal. Mythal. Mythal? Mythal? I thought there was another name that Meryl calls her. Oh, Asha Belinar? Asha Belinar, that's what it is, yeah. There's so many, like, proper nouns and names and stuff in this game. Mm. It's great. Uh, it's it's very, very fantasy. I was... I'm in a fantasy mood because there was a, some Lord of the Rings news today and we ended up talking about it for a bit uh, in, in my work slack about just Lord of the Rings in general and how silly that stuff can get mm. at times i do i do like me some fellowship of the ring though so that's good stuff um why are we trailing off track this is dragon age origins <laughs> <laughs> we've got we've got some dragons and such to go after this and then once we've uh, really cleared out the way uh we we end up finding this this pretty cool place um a, a taig as it were did i finally say it right the first mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. a taig yes taiga we we found taiga he's in the deep roads um we we find a taig and uh we we basically run back and tell barton like hey come catch up with us we found a bunch of stuff uh we could kind of look around here um and kind of get a little bit of lore here kind of look at different cool stuff here uh of course claim a deposit of orichalcum you don't you don't miss that that's that's good stuff right there i'm pretty sure i missed that so I'm not getting the best Keyblade in the game. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> mm. That's Kingdom Hearts crossover for you here on Normandy FM. <laughs> uh, mm. Did you ever get the best Keyblades in that game? Oh, fuck no. I don't have time for that. Yeah, yeah. No, I never did either. Although they always look cool. I always wanted to. Never got through it, though. Uh, once we actually get into the Primeval Tig, uh, we find just about the shiniest... Chekhov's gun you've ever seen uh it's a lyrium idol uh mm. that basically screams i'm a plot point uh and boy that thing is just hanging out there yep. uh so no defenses nothing yeah and it's it's like oozing malevolence and all that like it's definitely bad news bears <laughs> um 
And, of course, we are unaffected by it because, you know, we're sarcastic hawk and, and nothing phases us. But Bartrand being Bartrand, is, who, for some reason, he's, he's a dwarf, but he gets affected by the lyrium. Which, do they ever actually go into addressing the logistics of why it works that way? Or is it just Bartrand or something? It's, I, I mean, cause I'm not I thought, gonna say one I way or another. Whole, okay, because I thought on the whole, lyrium is not supposed to affect dwarves the way that it affects like humans you know the way that like templars get addicted to lyrium dust and all that mm. um huh did they ever address special yeah well okay i know this one's special okay so this, there's there's a special rule okay but real quick real quick now i'm thinking about it do they ever address how templars intake the lyrium powder uh, I mean, they... i'm sh- i'm sure they do somewhere like do they do they mix it into a drink or do they do they snort that do they get like some I mean there wasn't dollar bills in Ferelden but mm. I mean what what do they do in there I I assume they drink it like mages do when they're recharging their mana like a, like a lyrium potion but they they mention like lyrium dust don't they mm. I, I thought they call it dust specifically maybe they do some of that shit you know you know what uh i will look this up later we will answer your questions if you want to answer our questions for us you can always reach out to me at cmoosey on twitter uh holler at me with your theories about how how templars take their lyrium <laughs> um because now i'm thinking about it all i can think about is like cullen and like alistair and, and a bunch of people all like sitting around a table with a big old Polyrium dust making some lines. <laughs> Don't do drugs, kids. Okay, so uh, once Bartrand gets infected by the red lyrium idol, uh, he decides that uh, you know he he goes a little little cuckoo uh, and decides that he's gonna lock us in the tig and basically leave us for dead because he wants the lyrium idol. You know, not he, he says I'm not splitting it three ways, but uh you know he kind of he kind of pulls the trigger on that before we have any say in the matter and we've got to fight through even more crap just to try and uh survive and the crap that we start fighting all of a sudden is not just you know it's not dark spawn we're fighting like shades all of a sudden like demons start Mm. showing up i feel like there wasn't exactly a reason beyond just the general malevolence surrounding that all the lyrium and idling that was going on but uh we also fight some golems which is neat you know some golems Mm -hmm. show up always love to see them get into the party not really i hate fighting golems (laughs) but it's uh one one interesting thing we do is we run into a hunger demon which again i gotta reiterate we're not in the fade here we're in like the real world but there's just like casual demons hanging Mm. out in the real world um i guess the amount of lyrium that's around is kind of why that's allowed to happen Mm. but the hunger demon uh gives us a deal uh he wants us to stop killing what are called uh profanes or something Mm. basically they're from what i gathered they're people who used to live in the taig and have been kind of consumed by their hunger that is that the hunger demon has been so i i was making a joke about the fade and all that but the hunger demon is basically manifesting itself by feeding off the hunger of the people that are in the tag Mm -hmm. and he's turned them into these like hunger abominations so he makes a deal that says hey if you stop killing them uh because i feed off them i need them to live and you take care of that rock wraith that's up ahead 
I'll tell you where the key is to open a door to get out of here. Uh, at this point, we can either accept the deal or refuse the deal. So, I I refused mm-hmm. because I, I I don't fucks around with demons. Mm-hmm. That's 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 a rule, hard fast rule in Dragon Age. You don't fucks around with demons. I'm assuming you made the same call. Oh yeah. Uh, here's a fun fact. Uh, and maybe because I knew this in advance was the reason I did not bring Meryl with me. Uh, Meryl's pretty pro demon deal. Uh, mm-hmm. She's big into deals with demons for reasons that yeah. we will understand later on. But for now, uh, you lose, you get uh, pretty good rivalry points from refusing a deal with the demons, even though you get some good ones with Anders Navli. That one, that part I did not know about. Uh, I just knew that you got bad points with Meryl for not dealing with the demons, so mm. left her behind. Uh, <laughs> You get pretty big rivalry points for uh, accepting the deal with Anders, though. Yeah. Um, also, you can call on Meryl to kill the demon, and that results in no change, which is very strange. So you can make, you can either accept the deal and not get any points from Meryl, fun fact. You don't get any friendship points from Meryl for accepting the deal. You can refuse it to get negative you know or i guess rivalry points you know maybe you are going for rivalry i i go for friendship all around all about that friendship or you can just tell meryl to kill it which is something that she's actually theoretically against but if you ask her to do it she's like whatever neutral mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know Weird. why that specific interaction weirds me out so much it just does it's strange <laughs> that she's like you're like, I mean, Meryl, I'm not taking this deal. And she's like, I don't like that. And she's like, but you get to kill it. Oh, okay, I'm back to neutral. Dope. <laughs> she's not happy about it, but she's back to neutral about it. Um, she just likes to feel needed. Yeah. Like, she's got something to do around here. Like, I just, I hear, like, Meryl's voice, like, oh, but I get to kill it. Oh. <laughs> like, mm. <laughs> uh, Meryl's the best, man. I'm, mm. I'm getting to parts in Act 2 where Meryl starts to really shine. And, mm. oh man, she's she's a great character. I am now reminded why I knew, I knew long ago, somewhere locked deep in my heart, that Meryl was one of my favorite Dragon Age characters. And I just could never really explain why because it had been so long since I played mm. Dragon Age 2. And now that I'm suddenly playing it again, I'm like, okay, one, I should be playing Dragon Age 2 on a regular basis, like, more often. But also... Uh, man, Meryl is the greatest character, and now I can fully contextualize why. Uh, mm. She is hilarious. <laughs> um, so, I mean, if we fight the Hunger Demon, it's just a Hunger Demon fight. It's not really anything that special. Um, it's whatever. Uh, and then we keep on progressing up to a uh, ancient rock wraith, who is actually in my opinion kind of an interesting boss fight yep. all things considered uh i was kind yep. of surprised because i'd forgotten about this boss fight it's not the most it's not the most memorable from the outset because you're like okay cool they got an infernal from warcraft and <laughs> we're fighting it uh but the thing that it does that's really interesting is it's both um you know it's got really powerful melee attacks and and you have to worry about that as you do with like any ogre or anything like that but you kind of have to deal with all these different enemies and then also as you do more damage eventually it'll go into this state where it's going to emit this like laser blast Mm -hmm. uh and you have to run and hide behind the pillars and i mean look in terms of video game bullshit it's some video game bullshit Mm -hmm. 
but for a game that has had boss fights there traditionally just larger versions of normal enemies uh having some sort of unique mechanic to this Mm. i thought it was like uh it reminded me of i I think this might have been awakening that we did this in but there was a specific fight where you had to kill a warrior spirit and then activate something and then kill a warrior spirit and activate something and um i think it was an awakening that we did that the mission where you're working with the dwarven rogue that was part of the um part of the the dwarven death cult <laughs> the, the legion of the dead the legion of the dead yeah mm. Um, I believe it was in that mission where you have to do that sort of thing where you fight a, a ghostly apparition and then deal with the mechanism itself and then you kind of go through rotations of that. It, it feels kind of cool because I feel like I can see some game designer somewhere going like, no, let's make this like a boss with actual boss fight mechanics. Let's make it like, it works because it's memorable. I don't have mm-hmm. to look at the wiki to remember that, hey, that part where you fight the rock golem, there's this cool thing that happens where he has lasers and you gotta hide behind pillars to yep. not get hit by them and all that. And also, your AI teammates are yeah. smart enough to run behind the pillars too, so they that don't was just like, die to that shit. <laughs> that was like the weird thing that weirdly like stuck out to me most about this boss fight was like, oh, my companion is actually like do shit when I need them to, because it was a weird thing. This is a very weird segue to make. But like when I was playing Final Fantasy VII Remake, dude, I was just, just thinking of the same of a, fucking huh? thing. <laughs> I was just thinking of Final Fantasy VII Remake. <laughs> yeah, so, like, the the weird thing was, we had, I think we had just gotten off of uh, Origins at that point, and so I was already used to, like, my companions not always doing what I asked of them, so when I was playing Final Fantasy VII Remake, like, I already had, like, this inclination to assume that my teammates were not going to do the thing that I asked them to do, and then when they did, it was, like, a pleasant surprise. Like, I guess that we've come to this point where companions that can like, have smart enough AI that you don't have to worry about something like that happening. And so it was just nice to be able to, like, walk behind the pillars and they just come with me. They just it's, follow me there. It's so good. And so the thing that... And this is no Final Fantasy remake podcast, so we won't dwell on this too long, but it's something that I've noticed that... <laughs> mass effect and and like bioware games in general do very well and also like bioware adjacent games like greedfall had mechanics like this as well where you could install those tactics and be able to Mm -hmm. say like hey you know when you're low health use a health potion when you're low mana use a lyrian potion and uh you know if you're surrounded by three or more enemies use this ability and and you could like code that stuff if you really wanted to otherwise your teammates probably going to just do a general list of stuff uh and kind of go about their business and you could kind of up those or lower those as much as you wanted. You could dive as deep as you want, or you could just blitz through the game by just telling your healer to make sure they're always healing, and you'll probably be fine. But, man, in Final Fantasy VII Remake, that's, like, maybe my largest gripe with what is otherwise a sublime combat system in that game is that your AI teammates are dumb as hell, and mm. they cannot do anything without you controlling them. I, I, like, frequently would talk to people. I'd be like, why is it that my teammates never have ATB built up? They yeah, never was... cast their abilities. There's literally, like, I know we are going, like, deep into the weeds on a game that we are not ostensibly supposed to be talking about, but you literally, in that game, there you, you slot spells into your equipment and it's called materia uh you have to use materia slots to slot an ability that tells your teammate to heal you when you are low on health 
you have to tell them to do that by taking up a spell slot for a spell that they need i mean i don't think they need to have cure to use auto cure i think they will use cure even if they don't have they'll use auto cure even if they don't have cure set mm. but uh that was the point where i was like how how does this not get that that's such a crucial thing in a game where you have to have constant control over teammates that are in an active battle system not in a turn base not in a like step-by-step manner but you are in an active battle system where everyone is acting all the time it also reminded me of like the tales games like tales of symphonia mm. tales of vesperia where you could set uh tactics in that game but even then when i play those games even if i don't set tactics like all my characters are still going to use abilities and stuff when i tell them to and you know maybe i have to call an audible and switch over to him real quick and say hey you need to do this but that's like an outlier and not mm. the norm and that's kind of been the thing i've been having with dragon age 2 is oh i rarely have to micromanage because mm. the ai is largely competent and knows what to do and how to handle itself and also, if you just set some presets and then follow like those presets, right? They're already pretty capable by themselves. Like Meryl, every time we start a fight and she's got enemies near her, she'll mm. pull up her rock armor and just start flinging spells and like use her abilities to control the battlefield around her so she doesn't stay locked down. And then she'll turn mm. on her Wrath of the Elven and start going to town. And like, it's so yeah. refreshing but it also makes me wonder like how does this stuff exist in this game that was like years and years old and it's it's still something that people aren't getting right nowadays right it's a little yeah, frustrating the only, the only sort of like major change that i had to make the tactics was with fenris specifically because i like when you first get him he, he is spec to be like an offensive uh yeah he's almost and, like a berserker like i would yeah. i would put him as more of a berserker than i would as like a uh, a tank yeah but what i ended up doing was because I wanted to tank, I, I had spec'd him otherwise, so I did have to, like, go in and, like, basically, like, tear apart the way that he was programmed <laughs> when I got him, to be like, okay, I need you to function in the way that I am trying to make you, because, like, I mean, I, like, I do like Aveline, but, in the, but she is the, clearly supposed to be the tank of the game, so, like, if you want a character who is going to be in your party more often to fill that role, you have to kind of get your hands dirty to make it happen, so, otherwise, though, Anders and Varys, they got the shit together. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Uh, so once we kill the ancient rock wraith, uh, we go forward and we find the rest of the treasure that we were looking for, uh, which was just apparently being guarded by the rock wraith. Uh, at this point, if we had made a deal with the demon, it would show up and be like, look, you can take the key, but I'm hungry. I am a hunger demon. I want all the treasure. You don't get to take this stuff. Which, at this point, um... It attacks you anyway, I think. Yeah, no, I'm looking at the choices here on the Dragon Age wiki, and no matter what, you have to fight the demon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you can either be like... You can tell it to back off. Um, actually, I think if you tell them to back off and your personality is aggressive, that's the only way it doesn't fight you, it looks like. Because if you tell them that you only want the key, uh, it summons minions and attacks you anyways. Yeah, so... <laughs> Unless you have a certain personality type, you're going to have to fight the demon anyways. Haha, don't fucks with demons. <laughs> uh-huh. But you do get a fun choice that you can tell Varric to kill the demon if you want, and then the, you'll only fight the, the followers there. But either way, we have our cash. I mean, no matter what, again, you know, it kind of needs to coalesce at some point because mm-hmm. we need to come out of here with a bunch of cash. So 
we uh, pretty much grab as much as we can carry and then we gotta start going back to Kirkwall. Uh, and it's a long ways back. And also, like, Bartrand ostensibly took a bunch of things with him on the way back, so we've gotta make our way back with what we can. Uh, it's not really explained how we do so other than just walking, but, you know, we gotta do what we gotta do. Um, at this point... If we had had Bethany or Carver in the party, this is where they would collapse from mm. the blight and die. Uh, because I I forgot exactly where it happens earlier, uh, where they get hit by Darkspawn. It's like, oh, it's like way earlier, isn't it? It's like before, I think before you even get to the Primeval Tag. I'm not sure about that. Um, mm. This is not very specific about when it happens. Um, I think it's after you leave, after you've gotten all the gold. Oh, they get they get cut as you're as you're running out of there, or something like I I know like the the moment where they're like oh like the the blight is getting to them is at this point. Hmm. Yeah. Anyways, uh, at this point, your sibling will die unless you have Anders, and then you go searching for Stroud, and that's where that happens, and then you take off for Kirkwall. Either way, we didn't do that stuff. So let's talk now about what happens with our specific siblings, the much more mm. interesting route, let's mm. say. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll go first with mine, because uh, mine is kind of straightforward. Uh, if Bethany stays home, uh, Bethany is finally discovered by the Templars and is carted off to the Circle, mm. uh, leaving our lovely mother sad and sobbing on the ground. Mm. <laughs> because... There is no happiness in this game for our mother. Everything bad happens to her. She's the Aunt May of this game. Like, Sam Raimi Spider-Man Aunt May of this game. That's very true. <laughs> um, mm. that's, that's fairly straightforward. You know, it kind of sets up this, this almost tragic ending to the quest. Um, and I think, again, plays into the idea of... We talked about this before, but when you play a hawk that has Bethany... Uh, it feels like a very, like, Hawk is the older sibling to the younger sibling, whereas, uh, li like, that sort of protecting mm -hmm. relationship that the siblings can have, whereas if it's Carver, no matter what gender or whatever, uh, Carver is more of the rival sibling. Mm -hmm. uh, so tell me a little bit about what happens with Carver there. Yeah, so I get back, and he's, like, dressed in full Templar armor, and <laughs> Leandra's like, hey, can you talk sense into this guy? And I'm like, Probably not, because, like, if he's already, like, on this path, he's not nothing to a mage, right? And then he's like, of course you only think about yourself. And I was like, yeah, I got, like, there's a Templar in front of me right now. I kind of got to be worried about what, the, like, the ramifications of that, the implications of that. Why, like, wh how deep-seated your issues must be if this is what you think that you need to do to, like, have your own story, as you call it. Um, I don't know, like, it's... It's a very loaded decision because, like, I don't think if you somehow manage to get him over to friendship in, like, you know, before you leave, that this changes. Cause, I mean, I don't know what else he would do. It, it does not. It does not. Yeah. But I don't know. It's kind of shitty. Like, it's a very weird, like, I mean, the character, like, by design is a very spiteful, angry person. So, like, maybe he views this as, like, the hardest break he can possibly have from this family but 
he he does say like, well, you don't have to worry about me turning you in. I know what family means, and I was like, okay, all right, dude, sure you do. Mm. It is it is very strange that because you know up to this point, granted, we haven't talked too much about Colin or, or Bethany up, up to this point, but Carver. Had, uh, oh God, why well, I want to say Colin Carver, <laughs> other Templar starts with a C. <laughs> um, it's because it's because Colin shows up when when you're with bethany uh mm, which okay. is like a little throwback and you, you can even be like colin what are you doing and he's like i'm sorry like we don't have a choice in this matter like once once your siblings discovered like we you know you can only do so much so um rare moment of, of sadness from colin but uh carver did he have like leave any indication that he was thinking about being a templar or that like the templar life was the life for him and all that uh, i Templar specifically, like, that he would ever go to this extreme, no, but he is very, like, very resentful of Hawk throughout the entire game, and, uh, it's kind of, like, resentful towards not even just Hawk specifically, but, like, the history, or the lineage of magic in this family, and mm-hmm. he does have that thing where he's like, I feel like I'm not part of this family story, and I need to, like, carve my own path, so I guess he takes the absolute most extreme way of doing that, and calls it dramatic symbolism this is me now mm. <laughs> um, it's uh yeah it's it's a weird way that we end up ending this act is you know it ends on a very sad note because we have done the deep roads expedition and you go into it with kind of this feeling that oh you know we're gonna make our riches and we're finally gonna mm-hmm. have the hawk estate and all that and the strange thing is is you come back out and you know you're all exhausted from the trip back and then you find out that your sibling has been taken and all that and you know taken by by choice or by force and you're left with this moment of your mother just in a complete breakdown and all mm. that and and then you know we we cut to Varric and cassandra talking and Varric kind of does this okay and then we jump forward three years and the hawks moving up in the world and even bought the old estate remember the old estate got that and we art suddenly i mean so we talked about this before the podcast started but uh we should probably like just intro how exactly act two starts Mm -hmm. which is that hawk now owns the hawk estate that we'd previously had to had to sneak into for our our birthright quest or i forget what colin's or i did it again carver's (laughs) specifically is is it still called birthright yeah where you where you sneak in and all that okay Yeah. yeah um so that that place where we kicked a bunch of slavers out we now own it again uh let's say conspicuously without uncle gamblin around <laughs> uh old gambling gambling over there wait is that supposed to be wordplay and i just now got it well was it all... oh well okay then we, we got there <laughs> good stuff 10 years later if that, w- <laughs> if that was intentional bioware good job um <laughs> And I'm now sad that no one ever makes the gambling gambling joke in, in Dragon Age. It's sitting right there. Uh, maybe they do yet. I've not found it yet. Uh, but I I'm, I hope they do. I really hope they do. Uh, and, and we're like helping the Viscount out. I think no matter what, even if you did not help find his yeah. son in Act One, you're still like consulting with the Viscount about what to do about the Canari problem and all that. So. Uh, that's gonna be uh that's that's act two act two is uh we're gonna finally start talking about the the canary thing and 
I mean, Act 2, I think when people talk about Dragon Age 2, I mean, even when I was thinking about it, I think of it as segmented into parts, but I always felt like leading up to the Deep Roads was kind of almost like a very, very long prologue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the meat of what happens is in Act 2, Act 3. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of divided into two different conflicts. And we'll have pieces of both uh, throughout each one. But Act 2 is very much centered on we're dealing with the the Canari who are mm. still here. And, yeah. and they have not left. And that's, that's kind of how Varric even starts the act off as he says... Uh, the Canari that were supposed to be waiting for their ship. It's been three years and the ship still hasn't come and, and mm. people are starting to get anxious. Uh, there's a great line somewhere later in this mission where uh, your hawk can say, you know, if you wanted to leave, you probably could have built a boat by now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which we will we will delve into that. There's, there's so much to talk about. And this act, we're going to have guests. Like I yep. said earlier, we're going to have some, some people on. I'm not necessarily saying who we've got for that yet because i don't know if we've gone for i mean this next week we won't have any but uh at least for act two we should hopefully have a handful of more guests including one that has not been on yet that i'm very excited about yeah. uh we'll get to that when we get to that but next episode will be black powder courtesy this this much awaited sequel to black powder promise black powder promise yeah uh as well as Prime Suspect, which is also a follow-up question quest to another mission in, uh, in Act One. I'm very excited about that. We're mm-hmm. like getting into the meat of it now, Ken. Mm-hmm. Like, we're gonna have so much to talk about every episode, and like mm-hmm. we have, we have some stuff set out here. Uh, we might have to do some extra talking around one of these non-guest episodes for us to like cover the breadth of what happens in Act no. Two. So there might be one or two episodes that go a little bit long as as we talk about SideQuest, but Ken and I can figure that out off podcast air, away from your prying ears. For now, as always, <laughs> we are Normandy FM. You can find us at patreon.com slash Normandy FM, where you can go and support us if you would like to help us keep the lights on around here, pay for all that pesky uh, Dragon Age DLC that exists, because, oh buddy, uh, that, <laughs> that sure does exist. Um, especially... If you are trying to buy this game in the year 2020, uh, yeah, that's a thing. Um, as always, you can support us there. Some people support us at certain tiers to get their names shouted out every week. We appreciate them very much, and so we shout them out as such. Kevin Kulikowski, Ginny Wu, Chris Johns, Anthony Mathias, Alice Hawk, Colin, just Colin, just Reds, and just... A whole lot of just going on here. Um, there's there's in- like a... Tr- in fairness, trend we gave starting. somebody one of those names. We might have gave, given somebody uh, a nickname because we might have marked down. We, you know, we kind of had a first name, last name thing going, and maybe Ken left me a note that said this one is Colin, <laughs> just Colin, and I decided to be a jerk and run with that. And so I don't know if the following <laughs> donors have been <laughs> have been a response to that or not. Uh, if so, I see you and I appreciate it. Uh, I eagerly await justice uh, when when they sub to our to our uh, podcast. Uh, you know, please don't fuse with our podcast; that might lead to some uh, side effects. But uh, no, we're we're we appreciate all our wonderful Patreon 
uh, supporters, both the ones who support at that tier and the ones who boost us at whatever tier they can. We're always very grateful for y'all tuning in. If you can only tune in, if you know times are what they are right now and you can only just tune into the podcast, we appreciate that as well. You can head over to twitter.com slash show where we post all of our updates as well as retweet out all the stuff that Ken and I write as we do write a fair bit something that we're going to be doing a lot of in the coming months i have a feeling ken it's gonna be we get four months of game news ken (laughs) stoked for it did you think that two weeks in june was was too little because i've got four months in the year 2020 (laughs) oh including ea play yeah including ea play i mean so ken let's i mean we 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 brought it up we even talked about it separately uh off off air today but uh how are you feeling about the chances of us getting some dragon age news this 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 year this ea play i feel like they have to show that it's alive that it exists it's like say do you ever watch prison break uh no but i am aware of the concept that helps there is one season where one of them's locked up and he's like i need proof that the people i care about are still alive and so they make him, they, or like he makes them bring pictures of them holding the newspaper. I need a picture of Dragon Age 4 holding the newspaper. That's <laughs> all I need right now. Ken, I, I hope you know that is a standard practice. In, I know, but it was, it was the things. first one that came to mind. <laughs> That's not a prison break specific thing. It was just the first one. Like, it was. <laughs> and the, the, only, the main reason oh. I remember it is because at one point they uh, killed somebody and then. They were like, oh, we can't make him do what we need him to do in the prison. And so they're like, okay, here's all, here's the best we can do. And they brought, like, an old fucking picture of her with, like, the newspaper from, like, three days ago. And it just it sticks out. It's the, the main one I think of when I think of that trope. Well, uh, yeah, I, I also think that we're probably going to get some signs of life here from, from Dragon Age, from Bioware in general. I mean, so if we go by what the reports have said up till now... Uh, what what Schreier was reporting over at Kotaku um, sounds like Anthem 2.0 is probably going to be a, a major focus of Bioware in the near future. Great. Um, I You'd imagine love to see it. If if we are thinking logically, this is not me saying anything or confirming anything because I don't want to wake up tomorrow and see some article that's like Eric Van Allen on the Normandy FM podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if one was a logical, rational thinking adult, uh, they would assume that whatever plans for an Anthem 2.0 would probably include some discussion of next gen in there. That that throws kind of a wrench at everything. I, I was thinking about this the other day that like there are a lot of service games that are going to need to make the jump to yeah. to next gen, and you know what does that look like? You know what does it look like when Apex Legends or Destiny jumps to next gen or, or yeah. Rainbow Six Siege? Uh, so I imagine if they really are thinking about sticking it out with with anthem then that either turns into a situation where you know maybe anthem 2.0 it really is anthem 2 and they're just going to do a new game launch or or then maybe it's it's 2.0 and they're going to reboot the game and like overhaul it but also they're going to try and keep whatever copy it is that currently works on consoles Mm. running in the same capacity there there are a lot of ways to handle this stuff and i think this is going to be an interesting generation regardless because of the way that that stuff has to transfer over now you know we didn't really have forever games in the 360 and ps3 era but they also are backwards compatible so i don't know if it'll be as complex as we fear it might be so i I was thinking about this the other day because they are backwards compatible but 
think about it in terms of like the license that you own right so are they going to be content with saying that like the ps4 version will continue to exist on and it'll be backwards compatible with the ps5 so the people playing on ps5 will just be playing a prettier version of that same game and those two communities will continue to exist forever is is that the way forward i don't know or what does it look like is there a separate client that you would need to download that would maybe have you know, so when i play modern warfare on playstation i don't have to worry about shader download updates you know it just mm. is what it is but people on pc are complaining all the time like oh there's a new patch and that means i need to download new shader updates and stuff like that that's something that they have because they're on pc and that's like a different platform that's dealing with different things whereas playstation doesn't have those kinds of options in there thus does not have to deal with that how does that translate into a game like your destiny like your anthem i'm curious about all that i'm hoping they'll maybe start to answer some of that around yay play i'm very curious about that um but again like i think anthem 2.0 or whatever anthem is doing is probably gonna be the focus there was obviously the report from schreier that uh there is something mass effect in the works but i would be sincerely surprised if we saw anything about that just considering like we've been waiting this long i i feel like almost if we got something more concrete about mass effect than dragon age it would kind of be a slap in the face of dragon age fans because i mean god how long have we been waiting for news about the next dragon age like at least 20 i think it was 2016 was the first tease oh it was was, was like 2018 oh it was 2018 okay so it's not that long but still like it's been it's been two years and we haven't really seen much about it it probably feels like longer because i think there was like reports of there being a new Mm -hmm. dragon age even before that reveal yeah i don't think that I don't think that Bioware has, like, I don't say earned is not the word I want to use, but I don't don't think they can really afford to have more than two projects out, like, in the public consciousness at a time before, like, once one of them kind of, like, is a make good and people are kind of, like, maybe back on board, then I think they might be okay to bring out the next one. But, yeah, yeah, I don't think they need to put Mass Effect out there in the world right now. I mean, they do have multiple studios... They do have they do have multiple studios, so it's like feasible that they could be working on multiple projects right. at the same time. Like I, I it's not yeah, it's not necessarily a, a productivity thing so much as like an optics thing of, right. of you know, like gaining some trust in terms of a lot of people when they think bioware and like granted we use the same connotation when we say just bioware in general you know we're not talking we're not saying bioware edmonton or bioware austin or whatever you know we're just kind of talking about the the larger entity that is bioware uh you know people see bioware and they think like oh okay they're they're working on this game and that game and why are they working on three different projects and if one comes out it's a little subpar they'll be like well they shouldn't have worked on so many projects Mm. (laughs) um yeah the games industry is a complicated thing man it's a it's a weird tricky thing and we're going into a new generation that i think has it's gonna start to feel very strange for us because I, th- I feel like the ps3 to the ps4 and you know the the 360 to the one <laughs> this sounds so weird to say <laughs> um you know that was still very much like your traditional console leap you know there were kind of some cross-generation games you know you had your like black flag where you could buy it on ps3 and then you pay like money for an upgrade pack yeah. and then you could play it on your ps4 and all that but for the large part i feel like there was still a generational jump that happened you know like there was a day where i could say now i have a ps4 and i can start Mm -hmm. playing ps4 games 
whereas here the water is going to be a little murkier you know i i think like smart delivery is something that yeah. people are still kind of trying to wrap their heads around which makes me laugh because i'm just like yeah it's like pc when you buy a game on a pc if you buy a better pc you can still play that game on pc you just download steam and re-download game you're, you're yeah, good I mean, it's but... also like crossplay, like that playstation has now like it's not it's the same thing with just a different name and i don't think it's that complicated but yeah no no i mean it's, maybe it's... maybe it's like because it's like a new thing for that particular like audience that has not had such a, like that kind of feature before I mean, even so, crossplay with like PlayStation was between, say, like a handheld and a console. Um, I'm trying to remember if there was crossplay between PS3, PS4. Yeah, like it generally, was it was a lot of the uh, like, sort of. It was generally around like the indie stuff. Like if you got something that was one of the things, like you got it. On yeah, PS3, you got it on PS4, and there there were a lot of or... PS Plus games that were also like, hey, you get it. If you get it on this platform, you also get it, or like they'd be on PS Plus. It'd be like, oh, you get a copy of it on PS4, and you get a copy of it on yeah. Vita, and you get a copy of it on PS3. And there was a lot of stuff around that, but I think now we're starting to think of these games as existing in a murkier way than they have before. Not not even necessarily like murky, but like the idea that there used to be, you know, to continue with my water metaphor, say that like each generation is a lake. And you had to get mm-hmm. out of one lake and cross the land and then get into the other lake. And now those lakes are starting to merge and you can yeah. kind of swim from one lake into the other. And there's still kind of a hump there, but you know, you're still kind of in the water too. Uh, that's what I feel we're at right now. And it's going to be really, really interesting seeing how that stuff transitions. And obviously like the thing we're not talking about is, is COVID and how much that has impacted yeah. development, you know, universally i mean there are a lot of teams that were out there saying like covid has not impacted us i I think a major one was uh was like cd project red was saying like no we're not moving from september (laughs) like we've set september we're gonna hit september um and and last of us was really only delayed by like a month or so like three weeks i believe was yeah yeah it's it's not by much um long enough to leak long enough for that to happen sorry to everyone at naughty dog if i've been listening that that does suck that really does suck um, it sucks make, as, we learn, make, as, as we learn more about make that, no mistake that, yeah um so i i'm i'm really interested to see what the summer holds i think we're going to be hearing a lot of news about games that will probably come up on here you know this has always kind of been a podcast where we center on bioware and stuff like that but just because of both our roles in the industry and also the fact that you know ea kind of plays into what we talk about and bioware plays into what we talk about and even games that are kind of bioware rpg adjacent tend to come up in conversation things like greedfall and assassin's creed odyssey and stuff like that that are kind of pseudo bioware um always come up so i imagine we'll have things to talk about in that realm too as we also talk about just a bunch of dragon age stuff it's going to be exciting i'm i am excited for the eternal summer of games even mm. though it also fills me mm. with dread and makes my back hurt <laughs> but you know <laughs> it's the world we live in and we're just going to yeah. have a really weird year but yeah. thankfully we get to sp- we get to spend what is pretty much the rest of this year talking about dragon age uh Mm. our schedule is for the most part pretty locked in and uh 
yeah it's gonna take us all the way through the year it looks like for for dragon age and i'm very excited so we'll see you next time on normandy we have watched and waited 